I, Paul, have a real talent. Although such positive affirmations felt very uncomfortable at first, they rapidly allowed Paul the freedom to participate in the first public reading of his work. When he was widely praised, he was able to accept the good response without discounting it. Creative Affirmations 1. I am a channel for God's creativity, and my work comes to good. 2. My dreams come from God and God has the power to accomplish them. 3. As I create and listen, I will be led. 4. Creativity is the Creator's will for me. 5. My creativity heals myself and others. 6. I am allowed to nurture my artist. 7. Through the use of a few simple tools, my creativity will flourish. 8. Through the use of my creativity, I serve God. 9. My creativity always leads me to truth and love. 10. My creativity leads me to forgiveness and self-forgiveness. 11. There is a divine plan of goodness for me. 12. There is a divine plan of goodness for my work. 13. As I listen to the Creator within, I am led. 14. As I listen to my creativity I am led to my Creator. 15. I am willing to create. 16. I am willing to learn to let myself create. 17. I am willing to let God create through me. 18. I am willing to be of service through my creativity. 19. I am willing to experience my creative energy. 20. I am willing to use my creative talents. Turn now to your own list of blurbs. They are very important to your recovery. Each of them has held you in bondage. Each of them must be dissolved. For example, a blurt that runs, I, Fred, am untalented and phony might be converted to the affirmation I, Fred, am genuinely talented. Use your affirmations after your morning pages. Also use any of the creative affirmations listed. An affirmation is a strong, positive statement that something is already so. Shakti Gain. Tasks. 1. Every morning, set your clock one half hour early, get up and write three pages of longhand, stream of consciousness morning writing. Do not reread these pages or allow anyone else to read them. Ideally, stick these pages in a large manila envelope, or hide them somewhere. Welcome to the morning pages. They will change you. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. As you simplify your life, the laws of the universe will be simpler. Henry David Thoreau. Make your own recovery the first priority in your life. Robin Norwood. This week, please be sure to work with your affirmations of choice and your blurts at the end of each day's morning pages. Convert all blurts into positive affirmations. 2. Take yourself on an artist date. You will do this every week for the duration of the course. A sample artist date, take $5 and go to your local 5 and dink. Buy silly things like gold stick and stars, tiny dinosaurs, some postcards, sparkly sequins, glue, a kid's scissors, crayons. You might give yourself a gold star on your envelope each day you write. Just for fun. 3. Point. Time travel, list three old enemies of your creative self-worth. Please be as specific as possible in doing this exercise. Your historic monsters are the building blocks of your core negative beliefs. Yes, rotten sister Anne Rita from 5th grade does count, and the rotten thing she said to you does matter. Put her in. This is your monster hall of fame. More monsters will come to you, as you work through your recovery. It is always necessary to acknowledge creative injuries and grieve them. 
otherwise, they become creative scar tissue and block your growth. For Time travel, select and write out one horror story from your monster. Hall of Fame. You do not need to write long or much, but do jot down whatever details come back to you and dash the room you were in, the way people looked at you, the way you felt, what your parents said or didn't say, when you told about it. Include whatever rankles you about the incident, and then I remember she gave me this real facky smile and patted my head. You may find it cathartic to draw a sketch of your old monster or to clip out an image that evokes the incident, for you. Cartoon trashing your monster, or at least draw a nice red X through it. 5. Write a letter to the editor in your defense. Mail it to yourself. It is great fun to write this letter in the voice of your wounded artist child to whom it may concern. Sister Anne Rita is a jerk and has pig eyes and I can to spell. Every time we say let there be. In any form, something happens. Skeletal man. 6. Time travel, list three old champions of your creative self-worth. This is your hall of champions, those who wish you and your creativity well. Be specific. Every encouraging word counts. Even if you disbelieve a compliment, record it. It may well be true. If you are stuck for compliments, go back through your time travel log and look for positive memories. When, where, and why did you feel good about yourself? Who gave you affirmation? Additionally, you may wish to write the compliment out and decorate it. Post it near, where you do your morning pages or on the dashboard of your car. I put mine on the chassis of my computer to cheer me, as I write. 7. Time travel, select and write out one happy piece of encouragement. Write a thank you letter. Mail it to yourself or to the long-lost mentor. 8. Imaginary lives, if you had five other lives to lead, what would you do in each of them? I would be a pilot, a cowhand, a physicist, a psychic, a monk. You might be a scuba diver, a cop, a writer of children's books, a football player, a belly dancer, a painter, a performance artist, a history teacher, a healer, a coach, a scientist, a doctor, a peace corps worker, a psychologist, a fisherman, a minister, an auto mechanic, a carpenter, a sculptor, a lawyer, a painter, a computer hacker, a soap opera star, a country singer, a rock and roll drummer. Whatever occurs to you, jot it down. Do not overthink this exercise. The point of these lives is to have fun in them and dash more fun than you might be having in this one. Look over your list and select one. Then do it this week. For instance, if you put down country singer, can you pick a guitar? If you dream of being a cowhand, what about some horseback riding? Undoubtedly, we become what we envisage. Claude M. Bristol. 9. Point. In working with affirmations and blurts, very often injuries and monsters swim back to us. Add these to your list, as they occur to you. Work with each blurt individually. Turn each negative into an affirmative positive. 10. Take your artist for a walk, the two of you. A brisk 20-minute walk can dramatically alter consciousness. Check-in. You will do check-ins every week. If you are running your creative week Sunday to Sunday, do your check-ins each Saturday. Remember that this recovery is yours. What you think is important, and it will become increasingly interesting to you as you progress. You may want to do check-ins in your morning pages notebook. It's best to answer by hand and allow about 20 minutes to respond. The purpose of check-ins is to give you a journal of your creative journey.
it is my hope that you will later share the tools with others and in doing so find your own notes invaluable. Yes, I was mad in week 4. I loved week 5. 1. How many days this week did you do your morning pages? 7 out. Of 7, we always hope. How was the experience for you? 2. Did you do your artist date this week? Yes, of course, we always hope. And yet artist dates can be remarkably difficult to allow yourself. What did you do? How did it feel? 3. Were there any other issues this week that you consider significant for your recovery? Describe them. Week 2. Recovering a sense of identity. T. His week addresses self-definition as a major component of creative recovery. You may find yourself drawing new boundaries and staking out new territories as your personal needs, desires, and interests announce themselves. The essays and tools are aimed at moving you into your personal identity, a self-defined you. Going sane. Trusting our creativity is new behavior for many of us. It may feel quite threatening initially, not only to us but also to our intimates. We may feel M-dash and look M-dash erratic. This erraticism is a normal part of getting unstuck, pulling free from the muck that has blocked us. It is important to remember that at first flush, going sane feels just like going crazy. There is a recognizable ebb and flow to the process of recovering our creative selves. As we gain strength, so will some of the attacks of self-doubt. This is normal, and we can deal with these stronger attacks when we see them as symptoms of recovery. Common self-attacks are, okay, so I did okay this week but it's just a temporary thing. Okay, so I got the morning pages done. I probably did them wrong. Okay, so now I need to plan something big and do it right away. Who am I kidding? I'll never recover, not right away, not ever. These attacks are groundless, but very convincing to ourselves. Buying into them enables us to remain stuck and victimized. Just as a recovering alcoholic must avoid the first drink, the recovering artist must avoid taking the first think. For us, that think is really self-doubt, I don't think this is any good. All sanity depends on this that it should be a delight to feel heat strike the skin, a delight to stand upright, knowing the bones are moving easily under the flesh. Doris Lessing Snipers are people who undermine your efforts to break unhealthy relationship patterns. Jody Hayes These attacks can come from either internal or external sources. We can neutralize them once we recognize them as a sort of creative virus. Affirmations are a powerful antidote for self-hate, which commonly appears under the mask of self-doubt. Early in our creative recovery, self-doubt can lure us into self-sabotage. A common form for this sabotage is showing someone our morning pages. Remember, the morning pages are private and are not intended for the scrutiny of well-meaning friends. One newly unblocked writer showed his morning pages to a writer friend who was still blocked. When she critic with them, he blocked again. Do not let your self-doubt turn into self-sabotage. Poisonous Playmates Creativity flourishes when we have a sense of safety and self-acceptance. Your artist, like a small child, is happiest when feeling a sense of security. As our artist's protective parent, we must learn to place our artist with safe companions. Toxic playmates can capsize our artist's growth. Not surprisingly, the most poisonous playmates for us as recovering creatives are people whose creativity is still blocked. Our recovery threatens them. As long as we were blocked, we often felt that it was arrogance and self-will to speak of ourselves as creative artists. 
The truth is that it was self-will to refuse to acknowledge our creativity. Of course, this refusal had its payoffs. We could wonder and worry about our arrogance instead of being humble enough to ask help to move through our fear. We could fantasize about art instead of doing the work. By not asking the Great Creator's help with our creativity, and by not seeing the Great Creator's hand in our creativity, we could proceed to righteously ignore our creativity and never have to take the risks of fulfilling it. Your blocked friends may still be indulging in all these comforting self-delusions. If they are having trouble with your recovery, they are still getting a payoff from remaining blocked. Perhaps they still get an anorectic high from the martyrdom of being blocked or they still collect sympathy and wallow in self-pity. Perhaps they still feel smug thinking about how much more creative they could be than those who are out there doing it. These are toxic behaviors, for you now. Do not expect your blocked friends to applaud your recovery. That's like expecting your best friends from the bar to celebrate your sobriety. How can they, when their own drinking is something they want to hold on to? To know what you prefer instead of humbly saying amen to what the world tells you you ought to prefer, is to have kept your soul alive. Robert Louis Stevenson Every time you don't follow your inner guidance, you feel a loss of energy, loss of power, a sense of spiritual deadness. Shakti Gain Blocked friends may find your recovery disturbing. Your getting unblocked raises the unsettling possibility that they, too, could become unblocked and move into authentic creative risks rather than bench-sitting cynicism. Be alert to settle sabotage from friends. You cannot afford their well-meaning doubts. Right now. Their doubts will reactivate your own. Be particularly alert to any suggestion that you have become selfish or different. These are red alert words for us. They are attempts to leverage us back into our old ways for the sake of someone else's comfort, not our own. Blocked creatives are easily manipulated by guilt. Our friends, feeling abandoned by our departure from the ranks of the blocked, may unconsciously try to guilt trip us into giving up our newly healthy habits. It is very important to understand that the time given to morning pages is time between you and God. You best know your answers. You will be led to new sources of support, as you begin to support yourself. Be very careful to safeguard your newly recovering artist. Often, creativity is blocked by our falling in with other people's plans for us. We want to set aside time for our creative work, but we feel we should do something else instead. As blocked creatives, we focus not on our responsibilities to ourselves, but on our responsibilities to others. We tend to think such behavior makes us good people. It doesn't. It makes us frustrated people. The essential element in nurturing our creativity lies in nurturing ourselves. Through self-nurturance we nurture our inner connection to the Great Creator. Through this connection our creativity will unfold. Paths will appear for us. We need to trust the Great Creator and move out in faith. Repeat, the Great Creator has gifted us with creativity. Our gift back is our use of it. Do not let friends squander your time. Be gentle but firm, and hang tough. The best thing you can do, for your friends is to be an example through your own recovery. Do not let their fears and second thoughts derail you. Soon enough, the techniques you learn will enable you to teach others. Soon enough, you will be a bridge that will allow others to cross over from self-doubt into self-expression. For right now, protect your artist by refusing to show your morning pages to interested bystanders or to share your artist date with friends. Draw a sacred circle around your recovery. 
give yourself the gift of faith. Trust that you are on the right track. You are. As your recovery progresses, you will come to experience a more comfortable faith in your creator and your creator within. You will learn that it is actually easier to write than not write, paint than not paint, and so forth. You will learn to enjoy the process of being a creative channel and to surrender your need to control the result. You will discover the joy of practicing your creativity. The process, not the product, will become your focus. You own healing is the greatest message of hope for others. Krasimakers. A related thing creatives do to avoid being creative is to involve themselves with krasimakers. Krasimakers are those personalities that create storm centers. They are often charismatic, frequently charming, highly inventive, and powerfully persuasive. And, for the creative person in their vicinity, they are enormously destructive. You know the type, charismatic but out of control, long on problems and short on solutions. Krasimuckers are the kind of people who can take over your whole life. To fixer-uppers, they are irresistible, so much to change, so many distractions. If you are involved with a Krasimucker, you probably know it already, and you certainly recognize the thumbnail description in the paragraph above. Krasimuckers like drama. If they can swing it, they are the star. Everyone around them functions as supporting cast, picking up their cues, their entrances and exits, from the Krasimuckers, crazy, whims. Some of the most profoundly destructive Krasimuckers I have ever encountered are themselves famous artists. They are the kind of artists that give the rest of us bad names. Often larger than life, they acquire that status by feeding on the life energies of those around them. For this reason, many of the most crazy artists in America are found surrounded by a cadre of supporters as talented as they are but determined to subvert their own talent in the service of the crazy-making king. Learn to get in touch with the silence within yourself and know that everything in this life has a purpose. Elizabeth Cobbler Ross I am thinking of a movie set I visited several years ago. The filmmaker was one of the giants of American cinema. His stature was unmistakable, and so was his identity as a krasimaker. Given that all filmmaking is demanding, his sets are far more so, longer hours, long bouts of paranoia, intrigue and internees in politics. Amid rumors that the set was bugged, this krasimaker king addressed his actors over a loudspeaker system, while he, like the Wizard of Oz, secreted himself away in a large and luxuriously equipped trailer cave. Over the past two decades, I have watched many directors at work. I was married to a profoundly gifted director, and I have directed a feature myself. I have often remarked how closely a film crew resembles an extended family. In the case of this Krasimaker King, the crew resembled nothing so much as an alcoholic family, the alcoholic drinker, thinker, surrounded by his tiptoeing enablers, all pretending that his outsized ego and its concomitant demands were normal. On that Krasimucker's set, the production lurched off schedule and over budget from King Baby's unreasonable demands. A film crew is essentially a crew of experts, and to watch these estimable experts become disheartened was a strong lesson for me in the poisonous power of Krasimaking. Brilliant set designers, costume designers, sound engineers M-not to mention actors M-became increasingly injured, as the production ran its devastating course. It was against the crazy-making director's personal dramas that they struggled to create the drama that was meant to go on screen. Like all good movie people, this crew was willing to work long hours for good work. What discouraged them was working those hours in the service of ego instead of art.
the crazy-making dynamic is grounded in power, and so any group of people can function as an energy system to be exploited and drained. Krasimakers can be found in almost any setting, in almost any art form. They may help to create them, but since they feed on power, any power source will do. Although quite frequently Krasimakers are found among the rich and famous, they are common even among commoners. Right in the nuclear family, there's a reason we use that word, a resident Krasimaker may often be found pitting family member against family member, undercutting anyone's agenda but his or her own. I am thinking now of a destructive matriarch of my acquaintance. The titular head of a large and talented clan, she has devoted her extensive energies to destroying the creativity of her children. Always choosing critical moments for her sabotage, she plants her bombs to explode, just as her children approach success. The daughter struggling to finish a belated college degree finds herself saddled with a sudden drama the night before her final exam. The son with a critical job interview is gifted with a visitation just when he needs to focus the most. Do you know what the neighbors are saying about you? The Krasimaker will often ask. And the beleaguered student's mother will hear a horrific round of gossip that leaves her battered, facing her exam week beset by feelings of what's the use. Do you realize you're ruining your own marriage with this possible new job? And the son's hopeful career move is ashes before it begins. Whether they appear as your overbearing mother, your manic boss, your needy friend, or your stubborn spouse, the Krasimakers in your life share certain destructive patterns that make them poisonous for any sustained creative work. Krasimakers break deals and destroy schedules. They show up two days early for your wedding and expect to be waited on hand and foot. They rent a vacation cabin larger and more expensive than the one agreed upon, and then they expect you to foot the bill. Krasimakers expect special treatment. They suffer a wide panoply of mysterious ailments that require care and attention, whenever you have a deadline looming M- or anything else that draws your attention from the Krasimakers' demands. The Krasimaker cooks her own special meal in a house full of hungry children M- and does nothing to feed the kids. The Krasimaker is too upset to drive right, after he has vented enormous verbal abuse on the heads of those around him. I am afraid daddy will have a heart attack, the victim starts thinking, instead of, how do I get this monster out of my house? What I am actually saying is that we need to be willing to let our intuition guide us, and then be willing to follow that guidance directly and fearlessly. Shakti Gain. Krasimakers discount your reality. No matter how important your deadline or how critical your work trajectory at the moment, Krasimakers will violate your needs. They may act as though they hear your boundaries and will respect them, but in practice act is the operative word. Krasimakers are the people who call you at midnight or 6 a.m. saying, I know you asked me not to call you at this time, but Krasimakers are the people who drop by unexpectedly to borrow something you can't find or don't want to lend them. Even better, they call and ask you to locate something they need, then fail to pick it up. I know you're on a deadline, they say, but this will only take a minute. Your minute. Krasimakers spend your time and money. If they borrow your car, they return it late, with an empty tank. Their travel arrangements always cost you time or money. They demand to be met in the middle of your workday at an airport miles from town. I didn't bring taxi money, they say when confronted with, but I'm working. Krasimakers triangulate those they deal with. Because Krasimakers thrive on energy, your energy, they set people against one another in order to maintain their own power position dead center, 
that's where they can feed most directly on the negative energies they stir up. So Amso was telling me you didn't get to work on times a day, a crazy macrame relay. You obligingly get mad at so and so and miss the fact that the Krasimaker has used hearsay to set you off kilter emotionally. Krasimakers are experts blamers. Nothing that goes wrong is ever their fault, and to hear them tell it, the fault is usually yours. If you hadn't cashed that child support check it would never have bounced, one Krasimaking ex-husband told his struggling for serenity former spouse. Slow down and enjoy life. It's not only the scenery you miss by going too fast and dash you also miss the sense of where you are going and why. Eddie Cantor. Krasimuckers create dramas and dash but seldom where they belong. Krasimuckers are often blocked creatives themselves. Afraid to effectively tap their own creativity, they are loath to allow that same creativity in others. It makes them jealous. It makes them threatened. It makes them dramatic and dash at your expense. Devoted to their own agendas, Krasimakers impose these agendas on others. In dealing with a Krasimaker, you are dealing always with the famous issue of figure and ground. In other words, whatever matters to you becomes trivialized into a mere backdrop for the Krasimaker's personal plight. Do you think he slash she loves me, they call you to ask, when you are trying to pass the bar exam or get your husband home from the hospital? Krasimakers hate schedules m-except their own. In the hands of a Krasimaker, time is a primary tool for abuse. If you claim a certain block of time as your own, your Krasimaker will find a way to fight you for that time, to mysteriously need things, meaning you, just when you need to be alone and focused on the task at hand. I stayed up until three last night. I can't drive the kids to school, the Krasimaker will spring on you the morning you yourself must leave early for a business breakfast with your boss. Krasimakers hate order. Chaos serves their purposes. When you begin to establish a place that serves you and your creativity, your Krasimaker will abruptly invade that space with projects of his slash her own. What are all these papers, all this laundry on top of my work table, you ask? I decided to sort my college papers, to start looking for the matches for my socks, Krasimakers deny that they are Krasimakers. They go for the jugular. I am not what's making you crazy, your Krasimaker may say, when you point out a broken promise or a piece of sabotage. It's just that we have such a rotten sex life. If Krasimakers are that destructive, what are we doing involved with them? The answer, to be brief but brutal, is that we are that crazy ourselves and we are that self-destructive. Really? Whatever God's dream about man may be, it seems certain it cannot come true, unless man cooperates. Stellateral man. Yes. As blocked creatives, we are willing to go to almost any lengths to remain blocked. As frightening and abusive, as life with a Krasimaker is, we find it far less threatening than the challenge of a creative life of our own. What would happen then? What would we be like? Very often, we fear that, if we let ourselves be creative, we will become Krasimakers ourselves and abuse those around us. Using this fear as our excuse, we continue to allow others to abuse us. If you are involved now with a Krasimaker, it is very important that you admit this fact. Admit that you are being used M-dash and admit that you are using your own abuser. Your Krasimaker is a block you chose yourself to deter you from your own trajectory. As much as you are being exploited by your Krasimaker, you, too, are using that person to block your creative flow. 
if you are involved in a tortured tango with a crazy mucker, stop dancing to his slash her tune. Pick up a book on codependency or get yourself to a 12-step program for relationship addiction. Al-Anon and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous are two excellent programs for stopping the crazy muckers dance. The next time you catch yourself saying or thinking, he slash she is driving me crazy, ask yourself what creative work you are trying to block by your involvement. Skepticism. Now that we have talked about the barrier to recovery others can present, let us take a look at the inner enemy we harbor ourselves. Perhaps the greatest barrier for any of us, as we look for an expanded life is our own deeply held skepticism. This might be called the secret doubt. It does not seem to matter whether we are officially believers or agnostics. We have our doubts about all of this creator-slash-creativity stuff, and those doubts are very powerful. Unless we air them, they can sabotage us. Many times, in trying to be good sports we stuff our feelings of doubt. We need to stop doing that and explore them instead. To believe in God or in a guiding force, because someone tells you to is the height of stupidity. We are given senses to receive our information with. With our own eyes we see, and with our skin we feel. With our intelligence, it is intended that we understand. But each person must puzzle it out for himself or herself. Sothi Burnham. Boiled down to their essentials, the doubts go something like this, okay, so I started writing the morning pages and I seem more awake and alert in my life. So what? It's just a coincidence. Okay, so I have started feeling the well and taking my artist on a date and I do notice I am cheering up a little. So what? It's just coincidental. Okay, so now I am beginning to notice that the more I let myself explore the possibility of there being some power for good, the more I notice lucky coincidence turning up in my life. So what? I can't believe I am really being led. That's just too weird. The reason we think it's weird to imagine an unseen helping hand is that we still doubt that it's okay for us to be creative. With this attitude firmly entrenched, we not only look all gift horses in the mouth but also swat them on the rump to get them out of our lives as fast as possible. When Mike began his creative recovery, he let himself admit that he wanted to make films. Two weeks later, through a series of coincidences, he found himself in film school with his company paying for it. Did he relax? And enjoy this? No. He told himself that film school was distracting him from his real job of finding another job. And so he gave up filmmaking to look for another job. Two years later, remembering this incident, Mike can shake his head at himself. When the universe gave him what he wanted, he gave the gift right back. Eventually, he did let himself learn filmmaking, but he made it a lot harder on himself than the universe may have intended. One of the things most worth noting in a creative recovery is our reluctance to take seriously the possibility that the universe just might be cooperating with our new and expanded plans. We've gotten brave enough to try recovery, but we don't want the universe to really pay attention. We still feel too much like frauds to handle some success. When it comes, we want to go. Of course we do. Any little bit of experimenting in self-nurturance is very frightening for most of us. When our little experiment provokes the universe to open a door or two, we start shying away. Hey. You. Whatever you are. Not so fast. Think of yourself as an incandescent power, illuminated and perhaps forever talked to by God and his messengers. Brenda Uland.
No matter how slow the film, spirit always stands still long enough for the photographer it has chosen. Minor White. I like to think of the mind as a room. In that room, we keep all of our usual ideas about life, God, what's possible and what's not. The room has a door. That door is ever so slightly ajar, and outside we can see a great deal of dazzling light. Out there in the dazzling light are a lot of new ideas that we consider too far out for us, and so we keep them out there. The ideas we are comfortable with are in the room with us. The other ideas are out, and we keep them out. In our ordinary, pre-recovery life, when we would hear something weird or threatening, we'd just grab the doorknob and pull the door shut. Fast. Inner work triggering outer change. Ridiculous. Slam the door. God bothering to help my own creative recovery. Slam. Synchronicity supporting my artist with serendipitous coincidences. Slam, slam, slam. Now that we are in creative recovery, there is another approach we need to try. To do this, we gently set aside our skepticism m-for later use, if we need it m-and when a weird idea or coincidence whizzes by, we gently nudge the door a little further open. Setting skepticism aside, even briefly, can make for very interesting explorations. In creative recovery, it is not necessary that we change any of our beliefs. It is necessary that we examine them. More than anything else, creative recovery is an exercise in open-mindedness. Again, picture your mind as that room with the door slightly ajar. Nudging the door open a bit more is what makes for open-mindedness. Begin, this week, to consciously practice opening your mind. Attention. Very often, a creative block manifests itself as an addiction to fantasy. Rather than working or living the now, we spin our wheels and indulge in daydreams of could have, would have, should have. One of the great misconceptions about the artistic life is that it entails great swathes of aimlessness. The truth is that a creative life involves great swathes of attention. Attention is a way to connect and survive. Develop interest in life, as you see it, in people, things, literature, music m-the world is so rich, simply throbbing with rich treasures, beautiful souls and interesting people. Forget yourself. Henry Miller. Flora and Fauna reports, I used to call the long, winding letters from my grandmother. The forsythia is starting and this morning I saw my first robin. The roses are holding even in this heat. The sumac has turned and that little maple down by the mailbox. My Christmas cactus is getting ready. I followed my grandmother's life like a long home movie, a shot of this and a shot of that, spliced together with no pattern that I could ever see. Dad's cough is getting worse. The little Shetland looks like she'll drop her full early. Joanne is back in the hospital at Anna. We named the new boxer Trixie and she likes to sleep in my cactus bed. M-can you imagine? I could imagine. Her letters made that easy. Life through grandma's eyes was a series of small miracles, the wild tiger lilies under the cottonwoods in June, the quick lizard scooting under the gray river rocks she admired for its sabiny finish. Her letters clocked the seasons of the year and her life. She lived until she was 80, and the letters came until the very end. When she died, it was as suddenly as her Christmas cactus, here today, gone tomorrow. She left behind her letters and her husband of 62 years. Her husband, my grandfather Daddy Howard, an elegant rascal with a gambler's smile and a loser's luck, had made and lost several fortunes, the last of them permanently. He drank them away, gambled them away, tossed them away the way she threw crumbs to her birds. 
He squandered life's big chances the way she savored the small ones. That man, my mother would say. My grandmother lived with that man in tiled Spanish houses, in trailers, in a tiny cabin halfway up a mountain, in a railroad flat, and, finally, in a house made out of ticky-tacky, where they all looked just the same. I don't know how she stands it, my mother would say, furious with my grandfather for some new misadventure. She meant she didn't know why. The truth is, we all knew how she stood it. She stood it by standing knee-deep in the flow of life and paying close attention. My grandmother was gone, before I learned the lesson her letters were teaching, survival lies in sanity, and sanity lies in paying attention. Yes, her letters said, Dad's cough is getting worse, we have lost the house, there is no money and no work, but the tiger lilies are blooming, the lizard has found that spot of sun, the roses are holding despite the heat. My grandmother knew what a painful life had taught her, success or failure, the truth of a life really has little to do with its quality. The quality of life is in proportion, always, to the capacity for delight. The capacity for delight is the gift of paying attention. In a year when a long and rewarding love affair was lurching gracelessly away from the center of her life, the writer May Sardin kept a journal of a solitude. In it, she records coming home from a particularly painful weekend with her lover. Entering her empty house, I was stalked by the threshold of my study by Ray on a Korean chrysanthemum, lighting it up like a spotlight, deep red petals and a Chinese yellow center. Seeing it was like getting a transfusion of autumn light. It's no accident that May Sardin uses the word transfusion. The loss of her lover was a wound, and in her responses to that chrysanthemum, in the act of paying attention, Sardin's healing began. The reward for attention is always healing. It may begin as the healing of a particular pain and dash the lost lover, the sickly child, the shattered dream. But what is healed, finally, is the pain that underlies all pain, the pain that we are all, as Rilke phrases it, unutterably alone. More than anything else, attention is an act of connection. I learned this the way I have learned most things m-quite by accident. When my first marriage blew apart, I took a lonely house in the Hollywood Hills. My plan was simple. I would weather my loss alone. I would see no one, and no one would see me, until the worst of the pain was over. I would take long, solitary walks, and I would suffer. As it happened, I did take those walks, but they did not go, as planned. Two curves up the road behind my house, I met a gray striped cat. This cat lived in a vivid blue house with a large sheep dog she clearly disliked. I learned all this despite myself in a week's walking. We began to have little visits, that cat and I, and then long talks of all we had in common, lonely women. The noun of self becomes a verb. This flashpoint of creation in the present moment is where work and play merge. Stephen Matchmanovich. Both of us admired an extravagant salmon rose that had wandered across a neighboring fence. Both of us liked watching the lavender float of jacaranda blossoms as they shook loose from their moorings. Alice, I heard her called inside one afternoon, would bat at them with her paw. By the time the jacarandas were done, an unattractive slatted fence had been added to contain the rose garden. By then, I had extended my walks a mile farther up and added to my fellowship other cats, dogs, and children. By the time the salmon rose disappeared behind its fence, I had found a house higher up with a walled Moorish garden and a vitriolic parrot I grew fond of. Colorful, opinionated, highly dramatic, he reminded me of my ex-husband. 
Pain had become something more valuable, experience. Writing about attention, I see that I have written a good deal about pain. This is no coincidence. It may be different for others, but pain is what it took to teach me to pay attention. In times of pain, when the future is too terrifying to contemplate and the past too painful to remember, I have learned to pay attention to right now. The precise moment I was in was always the only safe place for me. Each moment, taken alone, was always bearable. In the exact now, we are all, always, all right. Yesterday the marriage may have ended. Tomorrow the cat may die. The phone call from the lover, for all my waiting, may not ever come, but just at the moment, just now, that's all right. I am breathing in and out. Realizing this, I began to notice that each moment was not without its beauty. The night my mother died, I got the call, took my sweater, and set out up the hill behind my house. A great snowy moon was rising behind the palm trees. Later that night, it floated above the garden, washing the cactus silver. When I think now about my mother's death, I remember that snowy moon. The painting has a life of its own. I try to let it come through. Jackson Pollock. The poet William Meredith has observed that the worst that can be said of a man is that he did not pay attention. When I think of my grandmother, I remember her gardening, one small, brown breast slipping unexpectedly free from the halter top of the little print dress she made for herself each summer. I remember her pointing down the steep slope from the home she was about to lose, to the cottonwoods in the wash below. The ponies like them for their shade, she said. I like them, because they go all silvery in their green. Rules of the road. In order to be an artist, I must, one, show up at the page. Use the page to rest, to dream, to try. Two, fill the well by caring for my artist. Three, set small and gentle goals and meet them. Four, pray for guidance, courage, and humility. Five, remember that it is far harder and more painful to be a blocked artist than it is to do the work. Six, be alert, always, for the presence of the great creator leading and helping my artist. Seven, Choose companions who encourage me to do the work, not just talk about doing the work or why I am not doing the work. 8. Remember that the great creator loves creativity. 9. Remember that it is my job to do the work, not judge the work. 10. Place this sign in my workplace, great creator, I will take care of the quantity. You take care of the quality. Tasks. 1. Affirmative reading, every day, morning and night, get quiet and focused and read the basic principles to yourself, see page 3. B. Alert for any attitudinal shifts. Can you see yourself setting aside any skepticism yet? 2. Where does your time go? List your five major activities this week. How much time did you give to each one? Which were what you wanted to do and which were shoulds? How much of your time is spent helping others and ignoring your own desires? Have any of your blocked friends triggered doubts in you? Take a sheet of paper. Draw a circle. Inside that circle, place topics you need to protect. Place the names of those you find to be supportive. Outside the circle, place the names of those you must be self-protective around just now. Place this safety mat near where you write your morning pages. Use this mat to support your autonomy. Add names to the inner and outer spheres as appropriate, oh. Derek is somebody I shouldn't talk to about this right now. 3. 
List 20 things you'll enjoy doing, rock climbing, roller skating, baking pies, making soup, making love, making love again, riding a bide, riding a horse, playing catch, shooting baskets, going for a run, reading poetry, and so forth. When was the last time you let yourself do these things? Next to each entry, place a date. Don't be surprised if it's been years for some of your favorites. That will change. This list is an excellent resource for artist dates. 4. From the list above, write down two favorite things that you've avoided that could be this week's goals. These goals can be small, buy one roll of film and shoot it. Remember, we are trying to win you some autonomy with your time. Look for windows of time just for you, and use them in small creative acts. Get to the record store at lunch hour, even if only for 15 minutes. Stop looking for big blocks of time, when you will be free. Find small bits of time instead. 5. Dip back into week 1 and read the affirmations. Note which ones cause the most reaction. Often the one that sounds the most ridiculous is the most significant. Write 3 chosen affirmations 5 times each day in your morning pages, be sure to include the affirmations you made yourself from your blurbs. 6. Return to the list of imaginary lives from last week. Add 5 more lives. Again, check to see if you could be doing bits and pieces of these lives in the one you are living now. If you have listed a dancer's life, do you let yourself go dancing? If you have listed a monk's life, are you ever allowed to go on a retreat? If you are a scuba diver, is there an aquarium shop you can visit? A day at the lake you could schedule? 7. Life pie, draw a circle. Divide it into six pieces of pie. Label one piece spirituality, another exercise, another play, and so on with work, friends, and romance slash adventure. Place a dot in each slice at the degree to which you are fulfilled in that area, outer rim indicates great, inner circle, not so great. Connect the dots. This will show you where you are lopsided. As you begin the course, it is not uncommon for your life pie to look like a tarantula. As recovery progresses, your tarantula may become a mandala. Working with this tool, you will notice that there are areas of your life that feel impoverished and on which you spend little or no time. Use the time tidbits you are finding to alter this. I shut my eyes in order to see. Paul Dogon. If your spiritual life is minimal, even a five-minute pit stop into a synagogue or cathedral can restore a sense of wonder. Many of us find that five minutes of drum music can put us in touch with our spiritual core. For others, it's a trip to a greenhouse. The point is that even the slightest attention to our impoverished areas can nurture them. 8. 10 tiny changes, list 10 changes you'd like to make for yourself, from the significant to the small or vice versa. Get new sheets so I have another set, go to China, paint my kitchen, dump my bitchy friend Alice. Do it this way, I would like to. I would like to. As the morning pages nudge us increasingly into the present, where we pay attention to our current lives, a small shift like a newly painted bathroom can yield a luxuriously large sense of self-care. 9. Point. Select one small item and make it a goal for this week. 10. Now do that item. Check in. 1. How many days this week did you do your morning pages? We are hoping 7, remember. How was the experience, for you? How did the morning pages work, for you? Describe them, for example, they felt so stupid. I'd write all these itty bitty disconnected things that didn't seem to have anything to do with one another or with anything. 
Remember, if you are writing morning pages, they are working for you. What were you surprised to find yourself writing about? Answer this question in full on your check-in page. This will be a weekly self-scan of your moods, not your progress. Don't worry if your pages are whiny and trite. Sometimes that's the very best thing for you. 2. Did you do your artist date this week? Remember that artist dates are a necessary frivolity. What did you do? How did it feel? 3. Were there any other issues this week that you consider significant for your recovery? Describe them. Week 3. Recovering a sense of power. T. His week may find you dealing with an accustomed bursts of energy and sharp peaks of anger, joy, and grief. You are coming into your power, as the illusory hold of your previously accepted limits is shaken. You will be asked to consciously experiment with spiritual open-mindedness. Anger. Anger is fuel. We feel it and we want to do something. Hit someone, break something, throw a fit, smash a fist into the wall, tell those bastards. But we are nice people, and what we do with our anger is stuff it, deny it, bury it, block it, hide it, lie about it, medicate it, muffle it, ignore it. We do everything but listen to it. Anger is meant to be listened to. Anger is a voice, a shout, a plea, a demand. Anger is meant to be respected. Why? Because anger is a map. Anger shows us what our boundaries are. Anger shows us where we want to go. It lets us see where we've been and lets us know when we haven't liked it. Anger points the way, not just the finger. In the recovery of a blocked artist, anger is a sign of health. Anger is meant to be acted upon. It is not meant to be acted out. Anger points the direction. We are meant to use anger as fuel to take the actions we need to move where our anger points us. With a little thought, we can usually translate the message that our anger is sending us. I merely took the energy it takes to pound and wrote some blues. Duke Ellington. Blast him. I could make a better film than that. This anger says, you want to make movies. You need to learn how. I can't believe it. I had this idea for a play three years ago, and she's gone and written it. This anger says, stop procrastinating. Ideas don't get opening nights. Finished plays do. Start writing. That's my strategy he's using. This is incredible. I've been ripped off. I knew I should have pulled that material together and copyrighted it. This anger says, it's time to take your own ideas seriously enough to treat them well. When we feel anger, we are often very angry that we feel anger. Damn anger. It tells us we can't get away with our old life any longer. It tells us that old life is dying. It tells us we are being reborn, and birthing hurts. The hurt makes us angry. Anger is the firestorm that signals the death of our old life. Anger is the fuel that propels us into our new one. Anger is a tool, not a master. Anger is meant to be tapped into and drawn upon. Used properly, anger is useful. Sloth, apathy, and despair are the enemy. Anger is not. Anger is our friend. Not a nice friend. Not a gentle friend. But a very, very loyal friend. It will always tell us when we have been betrayed. It will always tell us when we have betrayed ourselves. It will always tell us that it is time to act in our own best interests. Anger is not the action itself it is action's invitation. Synchronicity. Answered prayers are scary. They imply responsibility. You asked for it. Now that you've got it, what are you going to do? 
Why else the cautionary phrase watch out for what you pray for, y'all just might get it. Answered prayers deliver us back to our own hand. This is not comfortable. We find it easier to accept them as examples of synchronicity. Bullet a woman admits to a buried dream of acting. At dinner the next night, she sits beside a man who teaches beginning actors. Bullet a writer acknowledges a dream to go to film school. A single exploratory phone call puts him in touch with a professor who knows and admires his work and promises him that the last available slot is now his. Bullet a woman is thinking about going back to school and opens her mail to find a letter requesting her application from the very school she was thinking about going to. Bullet a woman wonders how to rent a rare film she has never seen. She finds it at her neighborhood bookstore two days later. Bullet a businessman who has secretly written for years vows to himself to ask a professional writer for a prognosis on his talent. The next night, over a pool table, he meets a writer who becomes his mentor and then collaborator on several successful books. When a man takes one step toward God, God takes more steps toward that man than there are sands in the worlds of time. The work of the chariot. The universe will reward you for taking risks on its behalf. Shakti Gain. It's my experience that we are much more afraid that there might be a God than we are that there might not be. Incidents like those above happen to us, and yet we dismiss them, as sheer coincidence. People talk about how dreadful it would be, if there were no God. I think such talk is hooey. Most of us are a lot more comfortable feeling we are not being watched too closely. If God m by which I do not necessarily mean a single-pointed Christian concept but an all-powerful and all-knowing force m does not exist, well then, we are all off the hook, aren't we? There's no divine retribution, no divine consolation. And if the whole experience stinks m dash oh well, what did you expect? That question of expectations interests me. If there is no God, or if that God is disinterested in our puny little affairs, then everything can roll along, as always and we can feel quite justified in declaring certain things impossible, other things unfair. If God, or the lack of God, is responsible for the state of the world, then we can easily wax cynical and resign ourselves to apathy. What's the use? Why try changing anything? This is the use. If there is a responsive creative force that does hear us and act on our behalf, then we may really be able to do some things. The jig, in short, is up. God knows that the sky's the limit. Anyone honest will tell you that possibility is far more frightening than impossibility, that freedom is far more terrifying than any prison. If we do, in fact, have to deal with a force beyond ourselves that involves itself in our lives, then we may have to move into action on those previously impossible dreams. A discovery is said to be an accident meeting a prepared mind. Albert Zendjiorgi. Did you ever observe to whom the accidents happen? Chance favors only the prepared mind. Louis Pasteur. Life is what we make of it. Whether we conceive of an inner God force or another, outer God, doesn't matter. Relying on that force does. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened to you. These words are among the more unpleasant ones ascribed to Jesus Christ. They suggest the possibility of scientific method, ask, experiment, and see what happens record the results. Is it any wonder we discount answered prayers? We call it coincidence. We call it luck. We call it anything but what it is m the hand of God, or good, activated by our own hand, when we act in behalf of our truest dreams, when we commit to our own soul. 
Even the most timid life contains such moments of commitment, I will get a new love seat after all. And then, I found the perfect one. It was the strangest thing. I was at my aunt Bernice's and her neighbor was having a garage sale and she had this wonderful love seat her new husband was allergic to. In outsized lives, such moments stand out in bas relief, large, as Mount Rushmore, Lewis and Clark headed west. 